Shalom, and welcome to Kolderot On Your Way, a project of Kolderot, a Reform Jewish community in Bergen County, New Jersey. I'm Rabbi Noah Fabricant. This is a bonus episode of Kolderot. Have we been around long enough to do that yet? I guess we have. This is the audio from our first Zoom Torah session. Zoom Torah is the name of our video conference online webinar sessions. This is another one of our experiments, along with the podcast, in getting the experience of Kolderot out to our members and community, even when they are not able to make it to the synagogue building. We had the first of our Zoom Torah sessions this past Friday, and thank you to those of you who participated in person, or I guess not in person, but online and via technology in lots of different ways. And uh, we had a great discussion. The subject of the session was the Israeli elections that were held last week, talking about the significance of the results for Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and the participation of the Arab-Israeli populace and all kinds of other interesting aspects of this election. The audio is maybe not quite as high quality as we've been trying to get on the podcast, but I do think that it's good enough to listen to, and I hope if you're interested in the politics of Israel, or even if you haven't thought about it that much, that you will enjoy this discussion. There is one moment where I'm sharing my screen uh, and the people on the call are looking at a chart of the results of the election, but I think we do say most of the numbers out loud, so I don't think it'll be too hard to follow along. And you will also hear speaking Anat Katsir, our educator here at Kol also our resident Israeli and Rabbi David Witzer. So you'll hear the three of us. You'll hear a couple of questions asked by members of Kol and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to, to our first Zoom Torah uh, online. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to call these things. There are lots of uh, awkward possibilities. Video conference, uh, online learning, uh, webinars, all those kinds of things. Um, I think this falls under the under the broad category of Kolderot trying to do some things differently um, and uh, make our community and and the things we're talking about accessible to people in different ways. Um, and so this is very much an experiment. I think you can probably see that, um, but one that we're excited about. So we are for the next half hour, and we're going to try to we are going to keep this session nice and short. Um, here to sort of have our first responses to uh, to the elections that were held in Israel this past Tuesday. Um, and I thought what I would do is let me give just kind of an introduction, get us all on the same page as much as possible. Um, and once we're all on the same page, then we can jump into what just happened on Tuesday. So um, as probably you know, this is the second election that Israel has held uh, this year. Um, The first was back in April, and even that election was an early election that was made necessary by uh, the government of Prime Minister Netanyahu sort of falling apart over over various disagreements. So they called early elections, they held the election. Um, The election was contested mainly between the Likud Prime Minister's party, and a new party, Blue and White, and we'll talk about them in a second. Um, And the results of that election were a tie. Um, Likud and Blue and White got the same number of mandates. um, And 
to make this tie even worse, uh, neither side was able to form a governing coalition for reasons that I think we'll probably get into and talk about, necessitating a second election in one year, uh, which I believe has never happened before. Anad, am I right about that? Um, so we have this unprecedented second election in the same year uh, this past week. Um, just as a further reminder, the elections are for the seats in Knesset. Knesset is Israel's parliament. There are 120 seats. The goal is to get 61 seats to be able to form a ruling coalition. No one party has ever gotten 61 seats. And so they have always had to put together different parties to form a coalition. And the leader who is able to put together that coalition of 61 or more seats in Knesset becomes the prime minister. Uh, just as a reminder, Israelis don't vote directly for their prime minister, except for that one time. They don't vote directly for the prime minister. You vote for Knesset. And then depending on how the parties fall out in the Knesset election, then uh, one leader becomes the prime minister. So that, that was the election that we found that we came into this past week. So before I go any further and, and jump into the results, maybe I'll, I'll pass things off to, to um, Anat and, and David. And, and maybe the question before we look at his results is sort of how were you feeling coming into this election? What, or how, you know, how, what were you thinking about the stakes? And Anat, why don't you start us off? Uh, I think uh, the, the biggest tension that I felt coming into this election is it became, um, it, it, was, it drove the campaigns were dri uh, driving a racist kind of line in a lot of their messaging. And I think um, the, and, and pushed towards anti-other. Um, and I think for me, the biggest tension coming into this, this is how this would play out with some very extreme new parties coming into play and what kind of room they would get or not get um, at this election. Part of what I was, I think, oh, that most of us were, were watching for was to see what would be the fate for, for Bibi Netanyahu. Um, this is probably the toughest election that he'd ever faced and the toughest point in his career, um, not only because of the personal problems that he's facing and the, the charges that, that may be pending, um, but also just in terms of where Israeli society is and were they finally going to be ready to move away from his leadership or cement him and his particular approach, which Anand uh, and I were talking earlier in the week, has long since ceased to be ideological and is so much more pragmatic about him being in power and crassly promising any number of things to any number of people in order to maintain that hold. Absolutely. So let's... So let's turn to the results. And uh, to do this, I am going to try sharing my screens so that you can see what I'm seeing. This is the a quick graph of the results. And one of the things you can see on this picture, and, and the reason that I chose this view to show you is that you can see the change from April's voting to the voting here. And so let's kind of go through these one by one. Do you, do you see my arrow moving? Is that, can you see that as well? Or just yeah. the, okay. So, you know, starting from the, the largest vote getters, you know, Kahol Avan in the last election, you see got, you know, 35 and is down to 33. Remember we said in the last election, Likud and Kahol Avan tied 35 each. They both went down this time, but Likud went down more. 
Um, so this time, Kacholavan came with a with a, a noticeable uh, lead, um, which is important because even though Kacholavan on its own, even of course with 33 seats, still has to form a coalition to get to 61, it does matter that you are the largest vote-getting party, which they are. So Likud, you see, was 35 down to 31. Now this is a little bit misleading because one just looking ahead, if you notice, if you add up all of the red uh, downs and the green ups, you will you'll notice that they don't add up. You know, it shows that uh, Likud and Kholovan lost the six seats total, and the increases of the other parties are up ten total. And the reason why that's a little misleading is because in between April and this election, Likud actually merged with a smaller party called Kulanu that had, back in April, earned four seats. So actually, the, the light blue line for Likud, we could have expected the Likud plus the four seats from last time from Kulanu to be 39. Um, and so really, Likud plus Kulanu didn't just lose four seats, they lost eight seats, which is a, a much more significant rebuke to Netanyahu, going back to what Rabbi Witzer said earlier, uh, than it looks like from this graph. So Kaholavana and, and Likud were both down a lit. Moving forward a little bit, the joint list, this is the all of the Arab parties, which in the la back in April ran separately as two groups of two parties. Now all of those four parties came back together again as the joint list, um, and that seems to have been very successful. They, they increased their joint totals back up to 13 seats, which was their maximum from where they started when the joint list was first created. Um, Shas, that's the Sephardic ultra-Orthodox party, was up a seat, jumping across United Torah Judaism, which is the, the Ashkenazic ultra-Orthodox party, was about even. So you see the, you know, the ultra-Orthodox numbers don't move around too, too much, weren't expected to. Yisrael Beitenu is the right-wing secular party headed by Avigdor Lieberman. And you may recall that from back in April that it was Avigdor Lieberman's refusal to join Netanyahu's coalition with the ultra-Orthodox that tanked the, the coalition talks the last time. That was a very surprising outcome. And you know, Lieberman was, was seen as being a very bold mover, uh, and it, it did benefit him in this second round of voting, Yisrael Beitenu uh, increasing by three seats. Although I should say some people expected a bigger increase. Yamina, this is the, the sort of catch-all right-wing party, uh, it, which in the it, back in April was called the Union of Right-Wing Parties, headed for the first time in this election by Ayelet Shaked, the, the up-and-comer, very popular right-wing figure. Shows them increasing by two, but again here, there was some movement of exactly who was in this coalition from the last election into this one, and so it's a little hard to compare apples to apples. Labor Gesher, this is another one where we had, the, in, in back in April, the smaller Gesher party did not cross the threshold, didn't earn any seats. And so for this round of voting, they joined with Labor and together they earned six mandates. And then uh, the Democratic Union, which is a combination of merits, you know, for those of you who, who are familiar with that name, the traditional leftist, very liberal party in, Israeli, in Israel's spectrum, together with um, a party for democracy uh, formed for just specifically for this uh, election and really motivated and spearheaded by, by former Prime Minister Ehud Barak. Um, and so together, uh, though that combination was, was able to, to earn five seats. So that's what we're looking at. All right, hold on, Cami, I see you. Cami. 
Uh, a quick question. Which of the parties uh, is uh, against uh, mandatory um, uh, military conscription for religious people? Which, which party uh, supports uh, exemptions? Anand, which parties? Do you, want, do you want to take that? Sure. Uh, the issue of, uh, of it's, it, there's a bit of a, a change here also through time. And for this election, really, um, the, the representation of the secular voice, the, the, the ones who call for equality, are, Lieberman was the one that pushed it, that made it uh, the really big statement about it by not, wanting, by not agreeing to sit with Netanyahu and the ultra-Orthodox. Um, Meretz has always been pushing that uh, tone, and the Democratic uh, Union is also along that lines. Within Kacholavan, you have conflicting voices, which is part of its challenge. Some of those voices are also uh, on that on that uh, messaging, um, and so I think those are your your strong secular votes. Um, and but even within um, a party that. Um, uh, a right-wing party, um, you have voices that call for equality and service. So the, the, the Zionist right, the Zionist Orthodox, also call for, for a full mandatory service. Uh, so <laughs> Lloyd, Lloyd is asking, uh, right, if, if we could answer that question from the other perspective, which is uh, who thinks that the ultra-Orthodox should be exempt from service? And I think, you know, we can sort of distill that from what Anat was saying. I mean, the, the, the really... The, people, the only people who are dedicated to that position are the two ultra-Orthodox parties. But there are other right-wing parties that are okay with it. You know, it's just not a big deal for them, and so they're willing to go along with it. And certainly Yamina, the, the right-wing party, and even Likud, uh, traditionally have had, have had no problem leaving that, that status quo in place. A few takeaways that I just want to hit briefly, and I you can't believe we're already halfway through our time, and I'm not used to teaching in 30-minute blocks, um, but some, some things that... Uh, that I wanted to really bring out from these results. The first thing is that um, these results are not good for Netanyahu. So no matter what happens, this is a significant weakening of Benjamin Netanyahu's position. And I, I you know, why is that important? Well, it's important because as prime minister, he's taken increasingly, as Anat said, increasingly strident right-wing stances, um, really blatant and overt racism uh, in, his, in his criticism, or I don't even know what to call it, uh, incitement against the Arab population of Israel, but also has recently started talking about annexation of areas of the West Bank. You know, in the last couple of weeks was talking about, you know, annexing the Jordan Valley, you know, areas uh, you know, disputed territories. Previously, Netanyahu had been a holdout and had not been in favor officially of annexing uh, more territory in the West Bank, and he has abandoned that position in during this campaign season. And so, um, so that was certainly one significant aspect of Netanyahu being weakened. The other was, you know, Netanyahu was really fighting for his life here. Um, he is charged in three separate cases with corruption and bribery. Um, there's a hearing coming up in a couple weeks, and it is very likely that he will be indicted on those charges. Um, Israel has, basically has a rule that a sitting prime minister cannot be, cannot be indicted, cannot. And so, you know, for Benjamin Netanyahu, the and he, he and one of the things he was looking for from his coalition was basically an immunity law, which is sometimes called the French law, that would allow him to escape indictment. And so if 
you know, now with the possibility, we'll talk about who's likely to become prime minister, but if it's not him, and if it's not a right-wing coalition that he heads, he is very unlikely to get that immunity. And basically, these election results could mean that he's going to jail, you know, as, as simply as that. So that was one takeaway that I definitely wanted to emphasize, is that this is not good for Netanyahu. Another takeaway, my, my number two, and just so there are four, there are four, I'll go through them quickly. My second takeaway um, is that this was a very surprising bump in Arab-Israeli, Palestinian-Israeli participation. Israeli Arabs make up 20% of Israel's populace, but they have traditionally had a much lower voting rate than, than uh, Jewish Israelis. Um, in, in the April election, the voting rate in the Arab sector was about 50%, and the over, compared to an overall voting rate of about 68% of the, in the Israeli population. This election last week, the Arab rate jumped to 60%. 10% increase. There are a lot of potential reasons for that. I think most people say that the joint list, all of the Arab parties coming together to run as one list seems to have been a big motivator. Certainly the some of the racism that we saw in the campaign, I think must have been a big motivator. Um, we saw some of the mainstream parties, even Likud, um, but then certainly Blue and White, you know, paying attention to the Arab sector in an unusual way and visiting, you know, visiting Arab parts of the state of Israel. But just overall, you know, if that level of participation in the Arab sector remains, it really opens up some possibilities that wouldn't exist otherwise. Um, one of them, and then I'll just throw this over to, to David and Anat, um, one of them is that if there is a some sort of broad coalition government that includes Likud and Blue and White, you saw that the next largest party was the joint list. And that's significant because the leader of the largest party who's not part of the governing coalition automatically becomes the opposition leader of the Knesset, which is an official role in Knesset and comes along with speaking rights and official duties. And, and so there is a real possibility that Ayman the the leader of the joint list, will become the opposition leader of the Knesset, which would be sort of one of the most prominent roles that an Arab lawmaker has ever had uh, in Israel. David and not anything. And that's really that's really an extraordinary possibility if we think about it on a global scale, and the criticism that Israel comes under uh, in terms of uh, the public perception of its treatment of the Arab population or relations with the Palestinian population, the notion that the leader of the opposition in the Knesset uh, could be an Israeli Arab is quite striking. I, we can talk more about whether we think that might actually come to be or what that might actually look like, but the fact that it's even a possibility testifies, I think, to Israel's role as a democracy uh, and the, uh, the seriousness with, with which the Israeli population takes the, the opportunity for governance. We had a question about, uh, about the United Arab Party joining with blue and whites. The truth is, traditionally, the Arab parties were not interested in sitting in a coalition. Um, some of them stated this officially, that they would not take part of the coalition. But the United Parties could also break apart, and some of them would potentially join a coalition. It would have to be a leftist coalition for this to happen. And I'm not sure that at this point that that's something that Blue and White would be interested in creating. Blue and White's opinions are uh, very mixed among them as far as um, uh, issues, matters of security. Uh, and so with among them, there are people who would not be, um, who would not agree to, to that kind of coalition that goes very far left um, on, on security matters. Um, 
the the chances are that I think what is what is I think possible and what people are really hoping for it seems um, is is a, a coalition between Kaholavan and between blue and white and Likud. Uh, I think this is a second uh, election in which the public clearly says these are the main parties that represent us. They are center off to the right, uh, but they are secular, they are um, they're liberal, uh, and really they represent the majority of Israeli society, which is right now centric, liberal, off to the right, security, for, mostly for, for security reasons. Um, and so I think the main uh, push is for those to come together. And then well, who would join them is the big question. And that would really, I think, um, be a testament to what the, the coalition would, would, uh, would make its main message. Okay. Lieberman, of course, in his jump, hopes to be that, that point of, of, of finalizing the coalition and making it a strong majority. And, and Lloyd asks if, uh, if the joint list would, would sit out of a coalition specifically to become the, the opposition leader. And I, I think we, we, that is, is unlikely because really the only coalition that the joint list would consider joining wouldn't involve Likud. And in that case, the leader of Likud would be the opposition leader. So I, I, think, I, I don't think that choice would come up uh, between those two options. For them. And not mentioned actually what was going to be my next point, which is a unity government. And I just want, we're going to be hearing a lot about this as things go forward. Um, you know, wh what about a government that includes both Likud and blue and white? That would be called a unity government. And Israel has had those several times in the past. Uh, that was true uh, during the Six Day War. Uh, it was true famously with Shimon Peres and Yitzhak Shamir in the 80s uh, to deal with withdrawal from Lebanon and hyperinflation in Israel. And it, you know, it usually comes usually comes about in times of crisis, because otherwise it's difficult to hold all of those opposing views together. Um, it does. I think avoiding a third election might be the kind of crisis that could bring about a unity government. One of the big questions is what about Netanyahu? Uh, Benny Gantz, the leader of Blue and White, has said all along that he will not sit in a coalition that uh, that includes Netanyahu or Netanyahu under indictment, depending on which version of his statements we, we want to follow. And so th this would create a real question about whether Netanyahu stepping down or some other kind of arrangement would be a prerequisite for creating that unity government between, uh, between blue, and light, blue and White and Likud. Isabel asks, what happens now? This, that's, a great, that's a great opening for this. So what happens now? What happens now is this. The ball is in the court of, of Reuven Rivlin, who is the president of the state of Israel, mostly ceremonial, uh, but with a few very important duties. And one of them is that the president of Israel chooses which member of the new Knesset will have the opportunity to try to put together that 61 seat coalition. Now, it is almost always that the leader of the party who gets the most votes, that would be in this case, Benny Gantz, but it not, but doesn't have to be. So, so President Rivlin is going to talk to all of the parties, the leaders of all of the parties, he's going to ask for recommendations. Who should I, who should I try to give the right to form a government? Um, and then he's going to decide who he wants to, to give the opportunity to form a government. And, you know, part of that decision will be what he's hearing about what kinds of coalitions are possible and, and what people are saying about who they're willing to work with. Um, that he has, the deadline is about 28 days for, for him to do that. There can be a two week extension, but we're, so we're talking about somewhere in the next month, month and a half that Rivlin has to give 
uh, someone the opportunity to form a coalition. If they can't, if they can't get 61, um, then it can go back, it can go back, Rivlin can pick someone else. And one of the interesting questions that was asked, I know we were talking about this in the office the other day, Rivlin has the power to ask someone in Likud who is not Benjamin Netanyahu to try to form a coalition. It could come to that. that that's a fairly unlikely scenario for a lot of reasons. Netanyahu's grip on Likud, on the Likud voters especially, is very strong and not a lot of lower level, you know, uh, not a lot, there are a lot of heirs apparent in Likud who would like to take over, but not a lot of them are stepping up uh, to do so um, because they, none of them wants to be seen as the person who sort of betrayed Netanyahu. And so we'll have, we'll have to see how, Dan, I'm going to unmute you. Go for it. Well, I was just curious about that, right? If I'm Netanyahu, don't I want now to trade my political power for immunity? And wouldn't I support someone else stepping up to head Likud, try to create a right-wing coalition like has existed throughout the last many years and kind of trade that for immunity? And what is, what is the possibility that that might happen? Yeah. So I have heard this, uh, I have heard this called the Nixon scenario. Could, could there be some kind of negotiated step back on the part of Netanyahu in exchange for immunity? Um, I think the current thinking is that uh, Netanyahu is still fighting um, he's, he is, he's saying, I'm going to beat, I'm not, I'm not going to get indicted. If I get indicted, I'm not going to be convicted. And he right now has still has a very bellicose posture that seems to preclude that kind of deal. I don't know, not what were you going to say? Yeah, I think you can see by his actions, uh, just immediately following the, the results is the first thing he's trying to do is create a very strong right wing government around him. Um, and his la latest uh, attempt was to really create a, um, uh, an agreement with all the right-wing, the Orthodox and, and right-wing parties, uh, that they would not go that they would not go into a unity um, uh, coalition without each other. So basically, he's strengthening his position and he's making himself the head of the entire right wing um, going into this, which really results in him continuing to be in power and to, to pull the, the power of the other parties in his, in, on his side, uh, which means he doesn't have any plans to leave the office, to, to step down, and he really believes he could still um, find his, his coalition and lead. Um, so we're gonna, we are going to wrap up in a minute. I have a couple of other concluding thoughts, but David, maybe I'll just kick it over to you. Anything that you want to... I think part of what we'll need to watch is if the Israeli public sours on Netanyahu enough uh, that somebody who doesn't have aspirations for the prime ministership of his own, but is willing to do it for the sake of the party as a whole, is willing to step up, uh, as Dan said, to, to be the one to first publicly break. The other opportunists in Likud will follow, um, but it's going to take quite some doing in public sentiments to, to really make that happen. Um, Netanyahu, I don't think, ha I, think, I don't think he has the ability to separate himself out yet uh, and, and be willing to do that. Nixon wasn't willing to step aside either until it became so clear he didn't have any other choice. So just in conclusion, you know, a couple of other things. Uh, you know, some of you know that Rabbi Gilad Kariv was running in this election to try to become the first non-Orthodox rabbi elected to Knesset. Um, he did not make it. Uh, he was running um, on that that joint merits Demo democratic union list, and and uh, and was too far down the list. They did not. They did not get those votes. But I will say that you know, 
for me at least, uh, this is a fairly hopeful result. You know, I think for, for liberal Zionists, um, I think one of the things that this these election results, no matter how the, the coalitions fall out, make annexation of large areas of the West Bank far less likely than they would have been um, if that April coalition had come together the way that it seemed that it would. And I think that's something that, that is very important to me. And you know, a lot of other very far-right social and economic policies um, represented by you know, members of Yamina, not you know, Ayala Chaked and Naftali Bennett, but also people like Rafi Peretz and Betzalel Smotrich, some of the other really far-right leaders who would have been very powerful in the Netanyahu government um, have, have now been marginalized, and I, or I expect will be marginalized in this upcoming government. And, and that's, um, that's a real change from what we expected you know, at this point after the elections in Thank you for listening. If you would like to participate in real time in the next Zoom Torah session, it is taking place in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur on Friday, October 4th at noon from 12 to 1230. Check out your Kol Dorot weekly email uh, for the link to join us in that session. And if you miss it, I imagine that the audio will probably make its way to this podcast feed. As always, for comments or questions, you can reach me, Rabbi Noah at coldorot.org. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done that already. Share it with anyone who you might think would enjoy listening. I look forward to seeing almost everyone at the High Holy Days coming up very soon. There may even be one more regular episode of Coldorot on your way between now and then. But until then, Shalom Uvracha. Peace and blessings from Kolderot. Yeah.